The wonderful thing about growing your own tomatoes is that you can leave the tomatoes on the vine as long as possible. This is going to enhance the flavor and this is what makes homegrown tomatoes so fabulous. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This Garden Talk Tuesday, we are talking tomatoes. You knew it was coming. I mentioned tomatoes so frequently when I use them as exam. You knew it was coming. I use tomatoes frequently as examples for things when we're growing in the garden. And part of that is because tomatoes are a big deal in the Midwest, fresh summer garden tomatoes. And I never really understood why. I mean, when I was growing up in Colorado, I don't remember us actually growing tomatoes, um, even though growing up in Colorado in the 70s and the 80s. I was a huge John Denver fan, so I knew the song, Homegrown Tomatoes, <laughs> even though that was actually sung by Guy Clark like seven years before John Denver did it. But anyway, when we were living in Northern California, that is like prime tomato growing area. Uh, the the weather and the climate is just perfect for tomatoes. So there wasn't, and it has a really long growing season too. So there wasn't ever really, you know, a demand or a shortage for tomatoes. But coming to the Midwest and having a shorter growing season out here and sometimes very tumultuous spring weather that makes it difficult to get the tomato plants in on time, um, I very quickly realized that summer homegrown tomatoes are highly in demand. And so uh, that is one thing that we grow a lot of for our market stands and our customers truly appreciate being able to get if they can't grow their own. So let's start with the basics of tomatoes. The scientific name for tomato is Solanum lycopersicum. It is in the Solanaceae family, which is the nightshade family. Um, others in this family include eggplant or potatoes and bell peppers, even uh, some hot peppers. There are also many weed species in this family that can be significant problems in certain areas. That includes horse nettle, eastern black nightshade, which is one that we deal with quite a bit, gymsum uh, weed, and then others of legend like the deadly nightshade belladonna. Tomatoes originated in South and Central America, and its name comes from the Aztec tomatl, which over the years morphed into tomate in Spanish and tomato in English. And before we go any further, yes, let's answer that burning question. Yes, botanically, a tomato is a fruit. In fact, it's technically a berry with its seeds contained on the inside. Now, of course, culinarily, it's used as a vegetable because it obviously doesn't have the same sweetness that we think of um, when we think of a fruit. Although I've tasted some darn sweet cherry tomatoes. 
So let's talk about the cultural significance and ethnobotanical uses of tomato. Ethnobotany is the study of a region's plants and their practical uses through the traditional knowledge of a local culture and its people. And we also kind of refer to the medicinal purposes of those plants as well. These uses are cited as a historical an anthropological resource never ingests the parts of any plant without being absolutely positive of its effect upon the human body. This is just good information to know. The tomato was most likely domesticated as a food by the indigenous peoples of Mexico and improved over the centuries. But there have been medicinal uses of the tomato as well. The pulped fruit is extremely beneficial as a skin wash for people with oily skin. In fact, I think you can find now even just in the stores um, over the counter, there are um, face washes that purport to use tomato in their formulas. The sliced fruits are actually a quick and easy first aid treatment for burns or for scalds or for sunburn even. Um, a decoction of the root is often ingested in the treatment of toothaches. There are homeopathic remedies made from tomatoes. Um, it's also used in the treatment of rheumatism and severe headaches. Now, there are claims of... Um, the lycopenes that are uh, present in the skins of the tomato fruits and their ability to ward off heart disease or certain cancers, even though there have been observational studies of these positive effects of lycopenes, there's been no conclusive evidence that indicates that lycopene in tomatoes or in supplements affects the onset of cardiovascular diseases or cancer. Um, these have observational studies have shown, you know, that the lycopene may be able to help protect from heart attacks and it seems to be more effective when it's cooked and so can actually be obtained from food products like tomato ketchup and from canned tomatoes. But in the U.S., the supposed health benefits of consuming tomatoes or tomato products or lycopene specifically to affect cancer cannot be mentioned on packaged food products without one of those qualified health claim statements um, that you see on supplements. It's good to note that all of the green parts of the tomato plant are poisonous. So symptoms of poisoning may include severe mouth and throat irritation, vomiting, dizziness, headaches, spasms. It can even cause death in really severe cases. Um, there are more medicinal and nefarious uses um, for other plants that are native members of the Solanaceae family, like Datura and the aforementioned Belladonna. Um, but as far as tomatoes are concerned, um, it's just that the plant is poisonous. So uh, the nutrition of tomatoes. A tomato is 95% water and contains about 4% carbs and less than 1% each of fat and protein. So for a 100 gram serving, raw tomatoes supply about 18 calories, and they are a good source of vitamin C, potassium, vitamin K1, and folate. And they provide about one and a half grams of fiber per serving. So healthy little veggie or fruit, <laughs> as it were. 
If you're looking for antioxidants, those compounds that provide health benefits, tomatoes are chock full of lycopene, beta carotene, and uh, cholerogenic acid, which has been shown to be good for reducing blood pressure. And then the flavonoid naringenin is also present in tomato skin. and It has been shown to be an anti-inflammatory. Now, tomatoes are naturally acidic, so if you suffer from acid reflux or heartburn, you may want to limit your intake of tomatoes and their products. And people with autoimmune diseases are also often told to stay away from tomatoes and other nightshades. But if you're healthy, you don't have adverse reactions to nightshades, there is no compelling reason to avoid eating tomatoes. They are a healthy part of most diets, and they are certainly most enjoyable, well, to most people. So let's talk about the cultivation of tomatoes. They are a warm season crop. Um, And so in northern regions of North America, tomato plants are going to need at least six hours of sunlight a day. Eight to 10 hours is actually preferred. If you are in a southern region of North America, your tomato plants are actually going to prefer or enjoy some light afternoon shade, either naturally or with row covers or or some sort of shade cloth um, to help them survive and thrive. Because while they are heat lovers, too much heat will actually prevent them from flowering and fruiting. So a lot of my gardeners who are in the southern U.S., actually start their tomatoes very, very early and pretty much consider their tomato harvest to be done by about mid-July. Whereas here in the Midwest, well, our tomatoes are really just getting going. Um, The good news about that is that you absolutely can plant tomatoes later on in the season and still get a fall harvest out of them if you are in those warmer climates. So the best way to start tomato plants is actually either to start the seeds indoors um, and grow them out into seedlings or to just purchase um, seedlings from your garden center. With with some exceptions, if you live in a very warm climate, you actually can direct sow tomato seeds into your garden. Just be aware they are tiny, tiny little seeds So you would actually have to plant quite a few of them into a row and then wait for them to germinate and then thin them out um, in order to be able to get the proper spacing. And they can be kind of finicky about their propagation. And if you are in a climate where you're able to do this outside, you are likely in one of those climates where it gets very, very warm very quickly. And uh, it may be too warm for your tomatoes by the time um, those seedlings actually get to start producing. So um, it really is just easier Um, and you have a better harvest or a better chance of a longer harvest window by transplanting seedlings out when the timing is correct. Um, So if you're going to start them indoors, or even if you're starting them outdoors, but um, the optimal soil temperature for germination is between 65 and 85 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 18 to 29 degrees Celsius. Um, You want to plant the seeds about a quarter inch deep and then keep them moist while they germinate. I will do a whole episode on seed starting because a lot of the instructions for starting seeds for most of your garden crops are going to be about the same with a few exceptions. So I will do an episode where we dive um, deep into seed starting. 
um, it's not much different for tomatoes than it is for um, several other crops. Um, in any case, once they germinate, make sure that you give them adequate light right away, preferably with a grow light that's placed just a few inches overhead and running at about 14 to 16 hours a day. This is why most beginners just grab starts from the garden center because starting your own tomatoes from seed can be a little bit challenging without the right equipment. So it's also important to know um, that there are different types of tomatoes. So there are determinate tomatoes and indeterminate tomatoes. Determinate tomatoes generally are sort of have more of a bush growing habit. Um, they will grow just a few feet tall, two to three, maybe four feet tall. They tend to produce um, all of their crop over a shorter period of time but they do tend to produce a little bit earlier in the season. So they're going to give you numerous ripe tomatoes all at once. Um, they don't put on a huge amount of leaf growth after they have set their fruit, but then they do tend to fruit for a relatively brief period of time. So they produce a little bit earlier than the vining uh, indeterminate types, but then they're done. And so um, by, you know, mid-season, you're not going to get any more tomatoes out of those. The good thing about determinate tomatoes is they do not require as much in the way of staking or caging. So these work really well for containers or for small spaces. Also, if like us, you are either selling at a market or you are a home canner, determinate tomatoes make it easier because you're getting the bulk of your harvest all at the same time. So you can get all of your stuff canned up at once and then maybe plant a few indeterminate varieties that are going to give you tomatoes continuously throughout the season for fresh eating. So indeterminate tomatoes, those are the vining varieties, um, they produce the largest types of mid to late season slicing tomatoes. And basically they start producing in the summer and they keep going all the way through until your first frost. But they experience much more leaf growth. And so they need staking. They tend to look a little wild. Um, they definitely need more space. So most beefsteak varieties and cherry tomatoes are indeterminate. That's not to say that you can't find cherry tomatoes or other types of tomatoes that are determinates. It's just that the majority of them are going to be indeterminates. Now, there is another type of plant that we call um, an indeterminate short internode. Um, and whether or not they're labeled on the tag as a determinate or an indeterminate really depends on the breeder. Um, but some of these are actually indeterminate varieties, meaning they will continue to produce throughout the entire season, but they do have more of a bush type habit to them. So two that we grow are bush goliath and better bush. So both bush versions of previously um, hybridized tomatoes. So you kind of get the best of both worlds with these where you can grow them in containers or in smaller spaces without um, a large amount of staking or caging, but you're still going to get that continuous harvest. So we grow a lot of those for customers because they just really do fit a need for 
a continuous harvest without the kind of crazy vining habit that takes up a whole lot of space. So let's talk about in-ground cultivation of your tomato plants. So in your in-ground garden space, you're going to transplant your seedlings into the ground after all danger of frost has passed in your area and the soil is at least 60 degrees Fahrenheit. We usually wait until about 65 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit because we know by then the weather will have sort of settled. So the daytime and nighttime temperatures are going to be more consistent. And this is better off for the plant. Even if the soil temperatures are warm enough, if those daytime and nighttime temperatures are having some major swings back and forth, it's going to be detrimental to the fruit production. You want to place your tomato stakes or your cages in the soil at the same time that you plant your tomatoes if you are using them. Um, Staking and caging your tomatoes, specifically your indeterminate tomatoes, are going to help the plant to stay upright and it's going to keep the fruit off of the ground. This helps you avoid diseases and pests that may plague your tomatoes. Make sure you've prepped your soil as usual with a good amount of organic matter, but then when you transplant your tomatoes, it's a good idea to add a handful of like an organic tomato fertilizer or some bone meal which is a really good source of phosphorus, um, to your planting hole. What you don't want to add is any high nitrogen fertilizers. So those are going to give you beautiful foliage, but it's going to delay the flowering and the fruiting of your tomato. So a regular tomato plant food um, or adding some bone meal and a, you know, or a general all-purpose um, fertilizer with a higher center number um, is a good idea for tomatoes. When you're planting your seedlings, pinch off the lower leaves and set that tomato plant as deep into the soil as you can. So get that root ball as deep as you can, just so that the bottom leaves are just above the surface of the soil. Anywhere that the soil is going to touch that plant stem, you're going to get new roots. And so you're going to have a much stronger root system, which is going to translate to a stronger plant. Just make sure when you're planting them, you're not crowding your plants. So pay attention to the spacing that is specific to your variety. Um, Some determinate plants can be as close as one foot apart. Most indeterminates, you're looking at two to three feet apart. And some of this is going to be determined on exactly how heavily you're going to prune your plants. Um, Just keep in mind that crowded plants aren't going to get enough sun, the fruit might not ripen, and if you don't have enough airflow, it's also going to um, encourage disease. Now, the alternative to this sort of deep hole that you dig and drop your, your plant into is to plant your plants on their side. This is actually a way to make a stronger plant when you may have started your tomato plants indoors and they've gotten really long and leggy and they just seem too weak to be able to even think about supporting any type of fruit growth. So you can actually dig a trench about three to four inches deep and then lay that tomato plant in on its side and bury those stems all the way up to the first set of the true leaves and just let those those leaves sort of stick out the top. 
the roots, again, are going to develop all along those buried stems. So if you plant in this manner, you can actually plant like four tomato plants sort of in a, a circle, um, sort of like a compass. You've got one facing north, one south, one east, one west with all of their roots in the center. And so you can actually fertilize and water the plants in the center of this little circle and have the green growth coming up um, at the at the points. So if you end up with really leggy um, tomato plants, this is a really good way to get them to where you have a much, much stronger plant. Don't be afraid to strip those leaves off of the base of those stems and bury those stems because anywhere it touches the ground, you're going to get roots. It really does make for a much stronger plant. Just remember to allow enough space for your plants to spread out as they're growing. And then make sure when you plant them, you water them in really well so that you don't sort of shock them. Now, if you're going to grow tomatoes in containers, you want to make sure that you use a large enough pot. So you want at least 20 inches in diameter. I would say you know, a five gallon bucket at a minimum, preferably a 10 gallon. And they know they do um, sell 20 gallon ones if you really want to go big. But you just really want to be able to allow for those tomato roots to expand. Again, the stronger the root system, the stronger the plant. And just make sure that you've got some drainage holes in the bottom um, and so that they're very well drained. You also want to use a loose, well draining soil generally a good potting soil is good. Um, you can also mix potting soil with compost and that makes a good mix for any type of a container for tomatoes. Um, and then, you know, if you can choose one of those bush varieties or dwarf varieties for containers, um, they do really, really well in pots. You don't have to stake them nearly as much. But if you do go with a full-sized indeterminate tomato, you are going to need to stake it or cage it in some way. And again, do that right when you plant it. So plant the plant in the middle of your pot and then go ahead and place that cage right over top immediately because if you wait too long to do that you're going to end up having to try to shimmy that cage over top of the tomato plant and you're likely going to be breaking some limbs off and and snapping some you know some fruit or some flowers it's just easier to do it from the get-go if you don't have cages you absolutely can just put like a bamboo stake down the center right next to where the stem is and then sort of tie it as it goes up. Um, just do one tomato plant per pot and then make sure that you are getting it at least six hours of sun per day. Again, preferably eight to 10. And here's where pots have the advantage. You can move these depending on what time of the season it is. So if you are in one of those um, climates where it's going to get a little bit too warm too quickly, you may be able to move those pots to the shade in the middle of the afternoon when it does get the hottest, and that will prevent your tomato plant from dropping its blooms. Just make sure if you're doing it in containers that you keep the soil moist. Containers are going to dry out more quickly than garden soil, so you have to check it daily. I generally say check down at least two inches below the surface of the soil 
If it is dry, then go ahead and give it a deep watering. And you may have to provide extra water during those heat waves. Just remember, it is better to do less frequent but deeper waterings than doing a shallow, quick watering every single day. I am going to do a whole episode, and I'm going to do it, I think, next week. I will touch um, on or I will dive into um, the different ways to prune your tomatoes. Uh, we'll talk about pinching. We'll talk about pruning. We'll talking about stating, staking, why you should or shouldn't prune your tomatoes, how you should stake and cage them, because there are a bunch of different ways to do this, and it really all depends on the space that you have, the time that you have to be able to devote to this, and what your goals are. So it's a little bit too much to cover um, in this episode because it really is an in-depth topic and there are a lot of different options. And so I want to give it uh, enough attention and be able to explain a lot of that to you. So we will do that on next week's Garden Talk Tuesday. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, well, let's just say we should probably drink more water. The coffee we drink these days still has a military tie. We have freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business, just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans and active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel anytime. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. So let's talk about common tomato pests. You know, it seems like everything wants to eat the tomatoes. <laughs> we want to enjoy them. The wildlife wants to enjoy them. So besides the bunnies and the deers, let's talk about the um, the other pests. Tomato cutworm, uh, you might see early in the season. Cutworms may eat the stem of the tomato plant, literally cutting completely through the stem in some cases. They may also climb up the stem um, and feed on the leaves and the fruits of your plant, but in most instances, you're going to see this in very small seedlings, and they'll look like they almost got just cut off right at ground level. Aphids, we've uh, we had an entire episode on aphids. Aphids can um, cause uh, curling leaves. You may see that white sticky residue. Flea beetles, um, you'll see these tiny little holes all through the leaves, almost looks like a miniature little shotgun has gone off through the leaves. Um, white flies, either if you see the white flies or you're going to see another sticky white residue where they've been, they've been on your tomato plants. Leaf miners, um, they will leave these kind of tunneling or zigzaggy patterns on the leaves. Corn earworms or tomato fruit worms, um, stink bugs and slugs, those can all cause holes in the fruit. And then the bane of my existence, tomato hornworm or and tobacco hornworm. Uh, these guys will quite literally strip a plant of 
all of its foliage and it seemingly happens overnight. Um, you will see, and if, if you've ever seen a tomato hornworm, they are big, they are fat, they are green, and they have what looks like a, a, a curved horn uh, on the front side of them, and um, I should go. I should go onto Instagram and post um, a picture of one that I pulled. I don't know a year or so ago, and the thing is like the size of my palm. It's it's just it's huge, and we get them. Uh, we didn't have them last year, but we have had them in previous years, and they can devastate. Um, the, your tomato plants, literally stripping all of the leaves. So you want to check your tomato plants daily, checking under the leaves, checking the fruit, and checking near the soil. That is where most of these um, insect pests are going to to live. Um, you can just knock them off a lot of the time, especially like aphids, by spraying them with a really good stream from your garden hose. Just knock them off. You can hand pick the bigger ones like the tomato hornworms. Um, just throw on a pair of gloves and drop them into a bucket of soapy water. Or if you have chickens, uh, save them for your chickens and toss them to them because they love them. You can also use insecticidal soaps, put those directly on uh, the insect um, on the plant. It works for smaller ones like aphids and, and spider mites. Um, horticultural oils um, or sprays that are diluted in water like neem oils, those are another good option um, for using on your tomato plants to keep away some of these pests. Keep in mind, if you do choose to use chemical insecticides, you may be killing off beneficial insects as well. And that can disrupt the entire sort of ecosystem of your garden and actually ultimately make the situation worse. So rather than using those, I always encourage people to promote a habitat that is welcoming to the beneficials that like to predate on these garden pests like the hornworms and the flea beetles and the aphids. So you you know would like to attract um, ladybugs and um, parasitic wasps and birds. So um, just just use those insecticides as an absolute last resort and just remember that you're affecting the beneficial insects as well as the ones that are detrimental to your garden plants. So what about diseases and other problems that you may see with your tomatoes? Early blight is a fungal disease. It causes the leaves on your tomato plants to just drop off. Um, it's really common to see this after excessive amounts of rainfall or extended periods of high humidity. It starts with these dark concentric spots that start and the, they go from like brown to black. They're about a half inch diameter on the lower leaves and the stems. And all of those leaves will literally just drop off. So if you catch it early and you destroy the infected leaves, you may actually be able to prevent it from spreading to the rest of the plant. Now, similarly, there is a late blight, which is also a fungal disease, and it causes gray moldy spots on the leaves and the fruit that later turn brown. Um, this one is also spread and supported by persistent damp weather and extended bouts of high humidity. Powdery mildew 
is a fungal disease and it leaves these white spots or it looks like a dusting of white on the leaves. It can be managed. We manage this and actually all of the fungal diseases by using first Saturday lime. Um, it disrupts the pH of the surface of the leaves and makes it an inhospitable place for the fungal diseases to reside. Now, two of the more serious ones, um, one is mosaic virus. It creates these like distorted leaves and causes young growth to be narrow and twisted. And the leaves become modeled with this yellow mosaic pattern. And unfortunately, any plant that gets infected with mosaic virus needs to be destroyed, but just don't put it in your compost pile. Your home compost pile just isn't going to get hot enough to kill off this virus. Another one that means that the plant needs to be destroyed is fusarium wilt. This starts with a yellowing and a wilting on one side of the plant, and it moves up the plant as the fungus spreads. And unfortunately, this is another one that your plant just isn't going to survive, and it needs to be destroyed to help keep it from becoming a persistent thing in your soil, because fusarium wilt will reside in the soil um, which is why it's super important to make sure that you are rotating your crops. And if you see either one of these, mosaic virus or fusarium wilt, you want to make sure that you do not plant anything in the Solanaceae family in that space for at least three years. Um, it, it is persistent in the soil, and that is the only way to break the cycle. So a couple of other problems that you might see with tomatoes Blossom end rot is actually a pretty common problem with tomatoes. It causes the bottom side of the tomato to develop these dark sunken spots. This is due to a lack of calcium or a calcium imbalance. Now, we've talked about this before. It may not necessarily be that there is a lack of calcium in your soil. It very well may mean that either there's a lack of magnesium, which is making it impossible for the plant to take up enough calcium, or there's been too much water, which is making it difficult for the plant to take up that calcium. Um, there are lots of reasons for this. So, you know, preventing blossom end rot, if you can keep the, uh, the plant evenly watered, not where it's getting too much or, or alternating back and forth between too much and not enough, which of course, if you're out in the gardens and you're having a particularly rainy season, that's almost impossible to avoid. It's not necessarily about adding more calcium. This is why soil tests um, are, are important if you continue to see this fairly frequently and you're seeing it in more things than just your tomatoes. That may be an indication that you actually might have a problem with a lack of calcium in your soil because this can also happen on um, summer squashes. Zucchini and, and yellow squashes can get blossom end rot for the same reason. So when you're evaluating these things, make sure that you're paying attention to, oh, have we had an influx of water? Have we had not enough sun? Are these things that might actually cause the plant to not be able to take up nutrients properly? Or has everything been hunky-dory and I'm still getting blossom and rot? That could indicate that you may need to add some calcium. The other problem that you'll see with tomatoes is cracking. So when fruit growth is too rapid, the skin will crack. Usually this, again, is related to uneven watering or uneven moisture from weather conditions. So really rainy periods mixed in with very, very dry periods. So 
uh, and this is really, really f- uh, common in cherry tomatoes specifically because they're just much more susceptible to it due to their size. So the, the only thing that you can do to prevent that is to keep moisture levels constant with either consistent watering and mulching Um, Or if you're relying just on Mother Nature, make sure that your plants are very well mulched so that it can help meter that water flow um, even during rainy periods. So let's talk about the harvest and storage of your tomatoes. The wonderful thing about growing your own tomatoes is that you can leave the tomatoes on the vine as long as possible. This is going to enhance the flavor and this is what makes homegrown tomatoes so fabulous. So harvest your tomatoes when they're firm and they are their expected color, regardless of their size. You may have some that are small, um, but they already look like they're supposed to, like what they see, you know, it looks like on the package of the tomato seeds that you got. Um, So go ahead and pick them. One exception to this waiting um, would be if you have severe problem with pests that eat your ripe tomatoes, whether it's bunnies or insect pests or birds or what have you. In this case, you can harvest your tomatoes when they first start to blush, which means when they just start to turn the correct color on the bottom of the fruit. At this point, the tomato is physiologically done growing. And so it's just getting ready to start turning colors and start to ripen. So you can actually pick it now, bring them in and then set them in a warm area to finish ripening up. Just don't ever place your tomatoes on a sunny windowsill to ripen because they may rot before they turn ripe. So just a warm spot in your house and allow them to go ahead and color up. Are they going to be as absolutely fabulous as if they were ripened completely on the vine and picked? No. But if you can't get them to that stage because you have things that are eating them before you get to them, which trust me happens out here all the time, then go ahead and pick them when they first start to blush before anybody gets to them and just set them inside and let them finish ripening. If temperatures start to drop in the fall and your tomatoes haven't ripened up yet, then you do have a couple of different options. You can pull the entire plant up out of the ground or out of your pot, brush off the dirt, um, remove all of the foliage, and then hang the plant upside down in your basement or in a, a garage. Those tomatoes will continue to mature and ripen up on the vine even after they have gone, uh, been pulled out of the ground. They're going to pull their nutrients and what they need out of the stem of that plant. You can also just go ahead and pick all of the mature Um, tomatoes that are left on your plants at the end of the season, and then go ahead and store them in a paper bag, um, loosely closed up, uh, and put them in a cool, dark place, about 55 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, Or you can wrap them in newspaper and put them in a cardboard box in the same manner. So cooler temperatures are going to make a first slower ripening of the tomatoes. A little bit warmer is going to speed it up. You just check them every week and pull out any ones that are kind of soft or spotted or or weird um, and pull them out as they ripen and continue to enjoy them in the off season. Just don't ever refrigerate your fresh picked tomatoes. Anything below 55 Fahrenheit is going to destroy the enzymes that give your garden tomatoes their 
fabulous flavor and it can also ruin the texture. So you just don't ever want to refrigerate your fresh tomatoes. Um, if you have more than you can use all at once, you can freeze them very quickly, um, very easily. Just cut the core out of them and place them whole into freezer bags or containers, seal them up, label them, toss them in the freezer. When you want to use them, just pull them out and I will take one or two or however many I need and just run them under some lukewarm water in the sink and the skins just slip right off as they're sort of thawing. And then I can cook them up however I want. Otherwise, if you have the ability um, and you are interested, you can can them up as stewed tomatoes or make them into sauce so that you can enjoy that fresh from the garden flavor all winter long. So that is the basics of tomatoes. I hope that gave you um, a good overview of what it is to start and grow and harvest your tomatoes and what to watch out for. Like I said, next week we will talk about the myriad different ways of being able to um, prune your tomatoes, why and how you should do that, how you should stake them, and all of those interesting things. So thank you for listening to this today. I appreciate you coming by. Um, if you haven't had a chance yet to check out our Patreon page, um, for those of you that want to uh, support this podcast in ways other than supporting our sponsors, you can check that out at patreon.com slash just grow something. And I will leave a link to that in the show notes. I hope that your garden is growing phenomenally well right now in this season. And I look forward to talking with you again soon. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon.